Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Biomass. We're in episode 233. Glad you could join us. We got a, another small group this week, but we got some good topics. So let's get started at the top of the list with introductions with Jay. Hey guys, Jason here. Uh, also one of the co-hosts here at Biomass. And uh, I play a lot of games, you know, knocking out uh, some Destiny here and there, uh, occasionally, as you guys know. And I've also checked out a uh, movie that's been out this weekend that I'll pretty good to tell you about as kind of for me so we'll talk about overlord later tonight okay sounds good and libby you're up hi i'm libby uh, another co-host here i do uh play destiny and uh, do project nova stuff so hello and i am pokey draven i am uh like, like libby i do a lot of the project nova coverage but uh, currently i am doing the mad grind to finish my five valor resets to get the redrick's broadsword in destiny and then next season i will be face grinding into a wall to get the uh, luna's howl which is a, apparently the gun i should have gone for first but uh, you know that's life but let's get started with uh, some movies and entertainment stuff. So uh, we don't typically talk much anime, but this is kind of an interesting thing. If you are uh, a fan of anime and watch it streaming um, on the different streaming services. So if you are familiar, you know that Crunchyroll and Funimation are kind of the two big names in anime streaming for the West. Uh, Funimation typically licenses a lot of the content coming out of Japan, and then they sub-license... Um, the shows to Crunchyroll. So how it works is that Funimation usually gets it. They do the English dub and then they basically lease the sub to Crunchyroll. So it was, it was kind of a nice setup where you could have all of you know the same shows, but if you preferred it in Japanese, you could watch it on Crunchyroll. And if you preferred it in English, you could watch it on Funimation. Um, I kind of bounce back and forth depending on the show. So I have both. But uh, it was it was a good a good partnership because even though they each owned like different properties, um, they would kind of shift the content where it would go. So at least it would be consistent. So let's say you always wanted you know subbed, you could just you know get one of them, or if you always wanted dubbed, you could go with the other. So it worked really well. Uh, however, Funimation was re recently purchased by Sony. Um, I think it was probably about three four weeks ago, and uh, I didn't hear about this until a couple days actually, but. Um, what they have said is that uh, their agreement between Funimation and Crunchyroll is being dissolved and they are taking back all of the shows that were uh, subbed from Crunchyroll and will be hosting them on Funimation. So Funimation will be taking about 300 shows back from Crunchyroll um, and be hosting both the dubbed and sub version on their service, which is a huge blow to Crunchyroll because that was a big part of their business was, was kind of being the place to go for subbed anime. So that's really unfortunate. Um, Part of the deal is also that Crunchyroll did help with dubbing some uh, shows. So in the shows that they dub, they'll actually be taking the dub and hosting it on their service. Um, and like I said, it's a big blow to them, but they've kind of been promising they're going to deliver some more original content moving forward to kind of help make up for this loss. Um, and also noted that there was a service called Verve where they kind of brought a bunch of different... Um, uh, different content, you know, uh, outlets together. So like Crunchyroll, Funimation, I think Rooster Teeth was another one. Um, a few other like YouTubes, they would, they would host them on this one central app. And so you can actually subscribe to the app and get a discount on all of the subscriptions that were part of it. It was a pretty good deal. Um, Funimation it will be removed from that, uh, that app, obviously. It's owned by Crunchyroll. So Funimation is leaving that app. So that will not be included anymore in that subscription, which again is kind of a shame because it was kind of a good deal. But uh yeah, I mean, it's it sucks, but that's also kind of how 
businesses work, you know, when you get an acquisition and Sony's like, well, hey, we don't want you sharing. We could be, you know, selling, you know, selling that product on, on our, our app instead of the other ones. So it's not as convenient for consumers, but if you have both Funimation and Crunchyroll, you won't be missing out on any content. It just might be moved around. However, if you subscribe to just one or the other, you might see some stuff disappearing, which is unfortunate. So, um, since I'm only a mild to moderate anime fan, I mean, I've definitely dipped my toe into it, not nearly as much as like you and uh, you and Livy do. What are some of the uh, maybe the more mainstream uh, kind of titles that people might recognize that are affected by this? Um, well, that's actually a good point. I should clarify. There are some the, the the really popular ones that recently came out, like this this most recent season. They have like their own license agreement, so those will remain where you're expecting them to be um, with the sub on, on Crunchyroll and the dub on Funimation. Um, but I imagine that once those are done airing, um, it will kind of go back to, to what I described before. So a lot of it's going to be older stuff. Um, let me see here. There was a, there's a short list, but let me, let me grab, pull it up here. I mean, they seem pretty positive too. If you see any of their, the news that they put on their own site, I think they're going to start picking up uh, English dubs. Instead of, you know, Funimation was on that side, I think they're going to start doing it themselves. So I don't think it's going to kill them. I just think they're probably going to have to do more work now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be, like I said, it's going to be they have to lean more into doing original content and, and that sort of thing. Or, or at least licensing stuff directly themselves rather than kind of relying on Funimation to bring it over. Now, these are mostly like series. These aren't like, uh, like anime full lengths, or is it kind of both? Oh, I think the list, yeah, the list here has like Assassination Classroom, Yu Yu Hakusho, whoever watches that still, um, High School DxD, Steins Gate, Psychopaths, Claymore, Samurai Champloo, Cowboy Bebop. I mean, yeah, they're they're older, you know, they're they're a year plus older. Like I said, the most recent stuff will probably be where you expect it to be, but if it came out, you know, six months to a year ago or later, it's it's going to be affected. So it's like I said, it's it's kind of going to be. A lot of stuff like the stuff listed off is kind of the big ones, um, but like so, there's the, over 300 shows I think that are going to be affected. So I, I won't go through the whole list, obviously, but uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, I mean, I, like I said, I used to be much bigger into anime back in the day, but I mean, I was always a big fan of like certain titles. I mean, the Macross stuff, uh, like all, basically all the Robotech series. I was a huge fan of that back in the day. So I, I definitely understand. And then there's like, you know, kind of a lot of the classics, you know, Fist of the North Star, Cowboy Bebop, you mentioned, um, you know, a lot of those, including the original Death Note, actually, that was a big fan. I was a big fan of that one. But I'm always interested in to kind of see how these, this is definitely kind of a niche thing here in the in the West, in the U.S. And I'm a little surprised that, that we haven't seen more, um, you know, I guess more long form storytelling like you see in anime here in the West. Because it's a pretty popular format in some circles. So, I don't know. Pretty interesting. I'll definitely have to change this up. So, the, the very rare times I did watch anime, I did actually dip into Crunchyroll. So, I can certainly understand what, how the effect is going to work. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't sink them, though. I mean, they, they had yeah. a pretty good start. Well, and the thing is that Crunchyroll was originally a pirate site where you would go and illegally download anime. And they, they went legit and started offering a streaming service. Um, and largely they, they're, they're, 
streaming service is what brought a lot of attention to anime in the last decade or so because they were actively getting stuff on their on their streaming site. And before, if you were a Western audience, you pretty much had like two options. Either you bought the Blu-ray, you know, DVD, you imported it, or you saw it like on Cartoon Network, like Toonami or something. You know, it was it was on TV. So this was, it opened up a whole new branch of, of anime. Um, and I think Funimation went, oh, wow, that's a great idea. We should do that too. Um, so, I mean, Crunchyroll is, is pretty pivotal and important, I think, to the community. And I, I, I really do hope they, they survive. Like I said, they, they still have a ton of content on there. Um, it's just certainly a, a lot of the older classics that you, you saw in both are, are going to be shifting back towards Funimation. So I, I do wish the best for them. I, I won't be, I will not be canceling my subscription. I will definitely be hanging on to them because they do have some good stuff on there. So, uh, I hope the best for them. So moving along, uh, real quick mention, uh, Castlevania Season 2. This is the anime adaptation of the classic Castlevania games um, is available on Netflix now. It is a full eight episodes opposed to the four it was for Season 1. Uh, Livy, myself, and my brother sat down and watched the first three. I think it's, I don't know if you agree, Livy, but like I think this, this is actually better than Season 1. Yeah, I would agree with that. They, they do on point. I mean, I don't want to give much of it away, but even the the translations or um, whoever does the script, I mean, it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, the writing is surprisingly good. Like, you know, you hear video game adaptation groan, but it's like, this is actually it's pretty funny. It's games Game of thrones this season, if, I remember, if I'm not mistaken. A little bit, yeah, because they kind of get into, um, again, no spoilers, they kind of get into Dracula's inner circle and how he's dealing with all the politics going around and stuff and it's good it, it's it's actually really good I'm, I'm very surprised and i'm i'm looking forward to getting to uh the other five episodes okay so uh one that popped up like earlier today um i think ronald reynolds was tweeting he goes you know i think we all knew that at one point i would star in a film as a small furry creature that spoke only two words but i didn't expect it to happen this soon uh and of course we're talking about detective pikachu and Pikachu is voiced by none other than Ronald Reynolds, the you know the guy who plays Deadpool. Have you seen this one yet, Jay? This trailer? Yeah, I can't really see it either. Uh, <laughs> to be honest. Oh, Bate's here. Hey, Bate. Hey, everybody. What's up? My name is Bate. I am. Uh, uh, oh fuck! What am I now? Uh, still in college. Uh, it's kicking my ass, but uh, I'm very excited to be back on the show today. Good stuff. Glad to have you. What did Bate think about the Pikachu trailer? Oh my god, it is so fucking cute. Holy hell. I like it a lot. I'm, I'm definitely going to go see this uh, when it drops. I just wanted to kidnap the little Pikachu model. Yes! It's, it's like, listen, we, we know where the Uncanny Valley is, and we're going to go straight to it and sit there the whole time, and it's going to look really weird and awkward. No, it, it looks it looks pretty pretty hilarious i think it's going to be kind of one of those like yeah it's a pokemon movie for the kids there'll be no adult humor whatsoever (laughs) it's probably it's going to either be really humorous or absolutely god awful but i'm I'm hoping i'm hoping it's humorous because uh i i I would actually like to enjoy this movie i haven't seen an animated pokemon movie since i was like 15 but i'm actually kind of interested in this just because you know, Deadpool references and, and having Ronald Reynolds voice Pikachu is hilariously meta, I guess. But right. no, I mean, was, if you close like, your eyes, he kind of sounds like Deadpool, right? Kind of, yeah. I already saw a cosplay of um, 
someone at Comic-Con dressed up like Deadpool, but the suit wasn't red, it was yellow, and then it had Pikachu ears on it. Oh, my dear lord. Oh, that's coming. That's, I just want to see Pikachu with, like, the Deadpool mask on. Uh, it, it, it exists if you, if you Google it. It's there. Um, Lizzie, we, uh, you know we have people that we can put on that, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can probably get them to do it, too. <laughs> but no, this one, this one looks... Uh, <laughs> It, it looks really ridiculous. Um, so a live-action Pokemon movie with Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu. I mean, that's that's pretty perfect. And to be clear, he he has lines. The whole the whole hook is that everyone in the world, when a Pokemon speaks, they only hear the Pokemon saying its name. But for whatever reason, the main character can hear what Pikachu is really saying. Um, yeah, so he he'll have lines, not just Ryan Reynolds saying two words the whole time. So it, it should be good. Okay, so moving along, some more gaming-related news here. So I want to talk about uh, Final Fantasy XV. Have not mentioned it in a while, but this kind of came as a shock to everybody. So, uh, as you know, Final Fantasy XV was in development for like ten years and restarted like four times um, until they finally pushed the game out under the leadership of a different director, uh, Hajime Tabata, and uh, it was it was okay. It was pretty good. Um, not my favorite Final Fantasy game, but it was it was pretty good, um, and it did did well it did fairly well and uh they pushed out a four pack of dlc there were kind of three character um character episodes and then a multiplayer expansion which was actually again kind of cool um and it did the dlc did well enough that they said okay you know we were going to stop at this point but let's go ahead and do four more dlcs to kind of expand upon the story do four more character episodes and you know it was it was pretty cool i was looking forward to it because there's some interesting stuff that the game kind of it kind of glanced over, but they, they had done a good job with these previous character episodes, kind of fill in these blanks and make it a little more uh, flesh out the story a bit. So this this was exciting. And they were going to have this live stream where they're going to talk about the DLC. And they're like, this is going to be great. People are all excited. And they get on and it's like full on like Red Wedding here. Um, they go, well, actually, uh, instead of releasing the DLC, we're going to cancel three of the four of them. And Hajime Tabata, the director of the game, is uh, resigning from the company and starting his own business uh, elsewhere. So that kind of sucked. Because, <laughs> like I said, I was kind of looking forward to it. But uh, they are repurposing the Luminous Studios. That's the internal studio that made the game to work on a new AAA game. No indication of what that is, but one would think it's probably Final Fantasy 16 or something along those lines. So... You know, hopefully that's, you know, they're, they're working on something cool, but they're they're definitely not working on Final Fantasy 15 anymore. That is said and done. They are still going to release the first of the four DLCs um, in March next year, but the, you know, the other three are going to be canceled and not coming out. So, yeah, it's uh, it kind of sucks um, because like I said, I was, I was looking forward to it, but, you know, they, they were saying that, Square Enix finally posted um, that Luminous Studios had a $33 million loss, and that was probably what was tied to why they did this. My guess is that the game was probably in development for so damn long, they spent so much money on it, and they were doing decently. Like the, the, so the game did decent, the DLC did decent, and I think they might have just seen that at the velocity sales were going, that it wasn't worthwhile to do four more DLCs. So they just said, you know what, we're just going to cut our losses, say we lost $33 million, push out the one DLC we're mostly done with, and, and call it a day and kind of move on. So 
I'm, I'm not sure if that's exactly what went down, but I imagine that that loss is most likely associated with the freakishly long production time that the base game had of like 10 years. So it's unfortunate. It's, it's, it's a really shame. Um, but I do hope that uh, Hajime Tabata is able to be successful with whatever he is working on. Um, I'm not sure if he was asked to resign or if he just left and his resignation was part of the reason of why this all happened. It's it's really unclear and we'll probably never know, to be honest. Serious question. What could possibly keep a game in development for 10 years? Because um, I'll be honest with you, I, I, like, I would have been surprised that it wouldn't have been cut well before this because I think the longest running game I can think of that was legitimately being developed was Red Dead. And I think that was going almost seven years, if I'm not mistaken. So the reason is called uh, Tetsuya Nomura, who is the original director of the game. Um, <laughs> he is uh, responsible for some of Square's more popular titles. And this was kind of his his brainchild. And he started working on this. It was actually called... Final Fantasy 13 Verses, and it was meant to be kind of this, like, I don't want to say the mirror of Final Fantasy 13, but it was kind of like, they shared like a similar mythos, like the same gods and goddesses, and they were kind of like in a different world, but they shared the same gods with the characters from Final Fantasy 13. Um, that was the plan originally, and it was actually what they showed off looked kind of cool, but it dragged on for so long that Square finally just said, we have to rename this as Final Fantasy 15 because we've already released 14, you know, by now. Um, and I think if you play the game, you can tell that there was a lot more they were trying to do that they just said, there's no way. So my guess is it took so long because the scope creep was absolutely insane and they just couldn't quite get it all to mesh together and push out a finished project. So, you know, when they, they pulled Nomura off the project and put Tabata on, they're like, listen, Here's a release window. Just take whatever we've got and push it out the door. We can't wait any longer. So I, I think that's kind of eventually where it got. I mean, if you've seen Kingdom Hearts 3, I've talked about, you know, delay after delay after delay. That's also yeah. Nomura's project. You know, that's that's his baby. So this is very common for his games, and they take forever to develop. So, so this wasn't necessarily 10 years in constant development. It no. was start and stop kind of development it sounds like uh, uh, the it sources kind of point to the fact that they probably had a couple restarts in there as well so my guess is it's probably like three years or so um with several restarts before that that just kind of got wiped and started i mean this game was going to be on ps3 remember initially that's oh, how long that's it was right. that's right i remember yep. this okay yep yeah and i think they realized that what they wanted to do was not going to happen on a ps3 um and obviously PS4 was made more sense, but uh, yeah. So I think there was probably a hardware shift where they kind of had to restart from scratch there. And then there was probably some changes in direction. I mean, there's there's a lot of history behind this game. But yeah, it was not 10 years of constant development. It was most likely a couple of restarts along the way. Well, now, I'm probably going to reach in here to an odd question, but like, so what what made, so what did you say the the EP or the, the, super, you know, the, the man behind the scenes on this game was? What was his name again? So Hajime Tabata was the one that was in charge when the game finally released, but Tetsuya Nomura was the one that started the project and was kind of okay. in charge of it for most of the time. What what game has he made that would garner a studio drop in ten years and probably ridiculous bank on them not turning a game out? Like what what is what what is it like? I know I've I've heard his name before. Obviously, I just I I can't think of a you know he's not made like you know 
God of War. He's not. No, he. You know, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's like I can't figure out why he has the cachet. Um, and and Final Final Fantasy as a franchise, they have not been afraid to hit the reset button on some shit previously. So that's kind of it. Kind of just makes me odd. It's an odd feeling that they would have lasted this long on this one. So he was the lead character designer between Final Fantasy VII, which is like the biggest one they've had so far. And he also was in charge of Kingdom Hearts series, which is also absolutely huge. I mean, he started in Final Fantasy V, I think. He's been with the franchise for a while. Yeah, but like his, I think his involvement in Seven and the success of Kingdom Hearts is probably why they just kind of let him do whatever he wanted. But the man dreams big, and it's kind of always been a problem. Um with getting his actual product like finished. Yeah, no, I'm down with that. I just, I mean, to me, that's just, I, I mean, not to sound crass, but that's like the sign of a, of a, not a good game developer. Well, and Square Enix is also notorious for being really unorganized when they, they produce, um, which makes their, their development times really long to begin with. So that certainly doesn't help. Um, they're just not a terribly efficient company. They've only really survived just because of the success of their franchises is, brand loyalty you know they can get away with spending forever and a ton of money on stuff because the fans prop them up pretty much um i think if you didn't have a company with as big of you know franchises out there that behave like square enix they wouldn't be around anymore i think that they they're very lucky with with their their successful product because they're they're messy when they develop them i mean you're looking at 33 million in losses and that's after the game came out and um well, I guess five DLCs on top of that of sales. I mean, there was there's a lot of money flowing there, and they still lost thirty three million on. So it kind of shows how much they would have had to invest in it to to to, to get it that bad. No, I, I mean, I'll, I'm like I said, I'm buying it. It just um, I think this is a good uh, a good indicator that just because you're good at working on games does not mean that you are good at developing or producing games. No, that's fair. Um, you know, like I said, it's he has a stigma that he. I think he gets offended when people bring it up, but it's always like, "Oh shit, Nomura's working on it. Like it'll be good, but we'll see it in a decade." You know, because it, it just takes him forever to do anything. Um, and you know, I don't know. I mean, the, like I said, I like his products in most part, but uh, yeah, I just wish they were a little more consistent with uh, getting them out in a reasonable amount of time. So speaking of games that take forever to come out, uh, <laughs> let's talk about Death Stranding for, for a minute here. Uh, so Death Stranding is a game being produced by Hideo Kojima and his new studio under Sony. Uh, he is, of course, the guy who was uh, in charge of Metal Gear Solid, very famous series, but he split with Konami after, after the release of Metal Gear Solid 5 due to some, some issues that he's not legally allowed to talk about. So that's always a fun drama. But... Uh, Death Stranding is a game that has had everyone excited but extremely confused because no one knows what the hell it's about. And uh, he's not really talking about it. He's he said, well, part of the game right, is learning what the game is. Do you think he knows what it's about? Do you, do you really think he knows what it's about? I, I think he probably does, but everyone who's worked on it is like, it's really weird. Like, it's good, but it's really weird. No one really knows what to, what to say about it. Um, but the, the, the interesting bit is, so there was recently a Japanese newspaper by um, Asahi Shim... Shimbun? I'm pronouncing that wrong. But they had an interview with him uh, back in September, and according to the report, the game is actually in the polishing phase, which means that he's like personally playing through it and kind of giving like final feedback on things to tweak and change. So it's like we've heard nothing about what this game is actually about, but it sounds like they're almost getting ready to release it. 
I'm I'm still standing by my prediction that they're going to just push this thing out with zero explanation because they know people will buy it because he's behind it and just have them figure out what the hell the game is about. I'm I'm really banking that it's going to be very little fanfare. It's just, okay, here it is. Figure it out. Um, because that's that's the kind of shit he would do. And I'm I'm really curious to see what what game he's playing with this, you know? What it is is really a social experiment to see how many people he can have buy $60 games with no plot, and there actually isn't one. They just keep playing it thinking that they'll find it. It, it wouldn't fucking surprise me. <laughs> Like he he does this kind of meta shit where like, um, like in Metal Gear Solid Five, for example, there's like this end game you can do, where you have like your own base and you can infiltrate other people's bases and like steal and disarm nuclear weapons and and basically the whole goal was is that if it, you win the game by like having more nukes than everyone else and you can like win through you know basically nuclear superiority. But there's advantages to disarming yourself, but there's a risk associated with it. And there was like a hidden cutscene, supposedly, that could only be activated if everyone in the world completely disarmed all of their nukes um, in the game. And if that didn't happen, you would never see this cutscene. Um, that's the kind of shit he likes to do, where it's like, I want you to play the game in a less direct way. Um, so I could see him, like, like almost like, maybe like a social experiment of like, okay, I'm, I'm proving a point here. Y'all motherfuckers will buy my game solely because my name is on it and you know jack shit about it other than it has the dude from The Walking Dead and Hannibal Lecter in it. And, and, and it'll probably work. People will probably buy it. And it'll be all kinds of craziness, you know, with the YouTubers analyzing all that kinds of shit. It reminds me a lot of, um, and Jay can appreciate this, what Bungie is doing with the Penumbra update as part of Destiny 2's you know, annual pass of... Hey, here's Black Armory. It's got this, this, this. Here's, you know, Joker's Wild. It's got this, this, this. And then there's a third update called Penumbra. It's got a raid layer, and that's all we're telling you about it. It's just you're going to have to figure it out once you get there. Um, I think it's kind of cool. Um, I think that in Destiny's case, they had to kind of prove to people that the content was worth it before people would buy the whole, like, we're not going to tell you what's in it. But uh, I think with, with Kojima, you could probably pull this off and just sell the game on his name and reputation alone without any fanfare about what it's about whatsoever. Just make it look good, put some famous actors in it, build this whole mystery and symbolism around everything and just let it fly. I, I really want it to happen. I think that'll be really fascinating to see. Um, yeah, maybe. Um, I give it a definite maybe. That's, that's I, I, I know you're I not buying you. it. I know you're not buying it. <laughs> No, it's 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 fucking weird. I'm, not, I'm like I would not blame anyone for looking at this going and go, uh, it's I'm not going for it. Um, but for me, I'm just like, you know what? This is kind of one of those weird things. Let's just see what happens. You know, it, it could be interesting. Okay, so let's move on to some Fallout 76 beta shenanigans. Um, so I canceled my pre-order as I said I would because I'm not going to play that game. It's a degrees fire. But I thought I would share some fun stories about the things that are going on and how half-assed this game is. So, fun fact. They took the Fallout 4 engine and duct tape multiplayer onto it. The engine for Fallout 76 is so similar to the Fallout 4 engine that modders can literally take a Fallout 4 mod and stick it in the Fallout 76, tweak a couple knobs and dials here, and it will actually work. The other issue is, is that the server trusts the client so much because the client is not set up to really 
work for multiplayer. So the server just kind of lets the client do what it wants that the mods in most cases will not actually trigger the server as cheating because the server just trusts the output of the client and the client says, no, everything's fine because, you know, part of the mod is to not trick the, not, not, not trip the server up. So people are like doing all kinds of crazy shit. That's kind of game breaking. Um, like a minor example would be um, like the lock picking mini game that you play in the Fallout series. If you played Skyrim, it's the same thing. Um, there's a mod that just tells you where the sweet spot is to unlock the lock. Um, there's things where people get more damage, they run faster, they get, you know, just unlock armor with different stats on it with mods. Um, and it just kind of works because it's built like directly onto the Fallout 4 engine and it just, you know, they just kind of slap multiplayer onto it, which is also part of why, you know, a lot of this shit doesn't work because the Fallout 4 engine had a lot of issues and they didn't fix those issues. So that's a huge security flaw. And uh, another fun one is that the launcher for the game is so bugged and messed up that it's actually preventing a lot of players from even uninstalling the game. Like it won't let them uninstall because it locks up and you have to like manually delete the files to get the game off your computer. So that's another good one. But uh, Bethesda's like, don't worry, guys. We released a statement. We're going to fix all of the problems. And so they released a statement. The game comes out in two days, mind you. Um, and there's like six things in the list. Those six things are not even the major problems with the game. And like half of them are, we'll fix it later after launch. Don't worry. Or our engine is too fucked up for us to actually fix that. So you just got to deal with it. This thing's a total grease fire. Um, it's, it's almost a little amusing to see because they, push this thing out like really fast like i was very surprised by how quickly it came out um but i'm, I'm very glad that i have decided not to buy it because it it looks like a total train wreck but i was kind of curious what you guys thought about some of the stories you've been hearing about the, the beta I, so far I, I'm, i'll be straight up with you the videos i saw of the beta i thought this was going to go back into the oven for like six months I, yeah. I didn't realize they were literally releasing it a week or two after. I thought this was like a legit beta where they nope. were putting it out and they were going to recook it and then send it back out. I, I, and in fact, I thought it was an alpha when I first saw the video. It was, I, I cannot imagine, I cannot fathom why Bethesda is willing to put their name on this and push this out. They, they have a very, very good reputation uh, generally, as a quality game maker, uh, they they do not do this. And, and I, so, th this is, if they really release it in this state, is 100% out of character from from them as far as I can tell as a development house. You said yeah, this yeah. game comes out in two days, right? Yep, November 14th. So, oof, so... Uh... My question, my, my my question then is: Do we think that they're going to that this is going to go back in the oven, like Jay was saying, for another six months or whatever, or or do you think that they're just going to double down and be like, nope, it is still going to come out? I I think it's going to come out, and you'll just be paying sixty dollars for alpha access, basically, while they oh, fix no. everything for the next half a year. And infinite patches, because I mean, no one uses a beta for what a beta should actually be used for anymore, right? It's true. That's why when people hear beta and alpha, they expect it's going to come out in the next few weeks. Fuck that. And I think Bethesda's <laughs> just shot themselves in the foot for the next Fallout game, for sure. Probably for the next Elder Scrolls game. And for sure, for fucking, uh, was it Start? Not Star Starfield. Starfield. Yeah, when that comes out. 
this is and don't really... forget there's going to be fallout on mobile too no nah, i don't think that'll be that big of a deal um uh, I, I don't think this is going to affect that um but this is certainly going to affect every other thing that they put out on console and on pc people are going to look at this and they're going to be like oh well look at that grease fire that uh bethesda put out uh you know was this 2018 uh, I don't know if I'm going to buy the next Elder Scrolls Fallout or Starfield game. Well, okay, so random question. Do you, do you think these guys are, they're trying to salvage this to move on to Starfield? Like, they're, they're literally just like, okay, we've got to push this thing out of the plane and hopefully the shoot lands on it so we can put all hands on Starfield? Almost like a that kind of thing? I'd say so. I, I, the whole thing screams to me that it's just... It was cheap to do because I mean everyone knows that they've been using the same damn engine since Fallout Three, like four games ago. And there's it, it was a buggy game. It's it, it's a buggy engine now. It was buggy engine then, and they put this thing on it, and it's like you're adding an extra layer. It, it feels like they thought, oh, maybe we can just shove this thing out real quick. It'll be something quick and easy that we can do for, for not a lot of money while we like like Jay said while we focus on on newer titles. And and, and like you're saying, Bait, it's like. This thing's going to be a total mess, and it's like if if they're going to keep using the same engine, if this is their their standard of work, I'm not going to be interested in the next Elder Scrolls or Starfield or or Fallout Five or whatever. It's like they need to fucking buckle down, make a new engine. Like it, it Fallout Three came out how many years ago, and they're still using it. It's time to to update your tech, and this whole thing just feels very low effort. Like all of the guns you see in in Fallout seventy six exact same gun models you saw in in fallout 4 like it, it's so many reused assets reused engine reused models like it's just it's low effort and i think it was just cheap and they wanted to make a multiplayer game because they thought they could monetize the shit out of it and they probably rushed it just to get it out the door and it was not working the way it needed to work and they're like well is what it is just push it out we'll fix it later um but it's so bad like Fallout games have been buggy. Like they always, they've always been buggy. But like this is beyond bad, especially for multiplayer. Well, and it's such a shame too because like <sighs> this is, in my mind at least, it, this is three. Was it three years or four years now? I think since Fallout Four came out, it's plenty of time to to at least you know put something that's not this out. Right, they, I mean, they could have they could have made a whole other game out of it, um, or not a whole other game, but but you understand what I'm trying to say. Uh, it, with this amount of time between four and uh, and and seventy six, and what I'm hoping is that everything that I've I've read and and just me thinking, you know, these next set of Bethesda games. Right, Elder Scrolls, what do we got to, six now, and then whatever the next fucking Fallout game is, and then Starfield, these are all going to be next generation games, without a doubt. Right, so what, I what I'm... Say again? As I would agree. So what I'm hoping then is that this next generation of consoles basically forces Bethesda to make a new engine, or, or to use a, a fucking different engine that's not... Uh, creation is, is what they use, right? Yep. Yeah, can creation we stop engine. using creation engine? Because Jesus Christ. Well, I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, Starfield sounds interesting. I'm I'm glad you're doing something other than Skyrim for Elder Scrolls, and I always like Fallout. But I'm like, I'm not gonna buy this if you're still using the damn engine from Fallout Three. Like, come no. on. No. Like, come see, on. If I see a sticker on the box that says "Made with fucking Creation Engine," I'm I'm gonna return the game. I mean, I'll, I'll straight up. 
I mean, let's see here. When was Fallout 3 released? It's 2011, wasn't it? 2010? 2008. It's 10 years old. Fuck. Yeah. On the creation engine, it's 10 years old. And obviously, the engine existed before the game came out. So, you know, you can add an extra two, three years on top of that. It's like, guys, come on. It, it, it almost feels kind of like they saw like what Fortnite did. Fortnite had their, their engine that they built for the PvE game, the Save the World campaign. And they just kind of like use the same engines to pump out, you know, uh, Battle Royale because it was cheap and easy. Like they did like, like three months with a small team. Like it was like very little investment at all and it just happened to really stick it feels like they're just like hey what if we just used all of our assets in our engine and just pumped out a multiplayer game and you know (laughs) i'll I'll let you know in the beta they make it very clear hey here's the cash shop to buy cosmetics you know that part works the part part that that confuses me is that while it was quote unquote cheap and easy um they they did sink a fair amount of time and effort into what is effectively you know looking like a thing the guys did on the side in the studio while they were working on something else. They, they, there was, there, there's probably no small amount of manpower and man hours that went into this that could have been used on other things. And that's what is really surprising to me. Because again, Bethesda generally does not make really bad studio level decisions, or at least outwardly. Okay, I don't know anything about inside, you know, haven't been trolling them on like, you know, uh, glass, you know, was it glass door and all that kind of stuff. But just from a consumer standpoint, they've got a very good reputation for a reason. That's what just blows my mind on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely not normal. And I'm kind of curious because it's like, I, I believe they're their own publisher. So it's not like the publisher is pushing them to do it. It's just very weird. It's very, it's very weird. And it's unfortunate. Like, my brother's always lamenting. He's like, I just, he, he told me the day, he's like, yeah, I canceled my pre-order because it just sucks. Like, I just I really wanted it to be good. I'm like, I'm with you, dude. Like, I love Fallout. It'd be great to do it co-op, but it just, you look, like Jay said, you look at it and you're like, there's no way this thing is ready. You know, it's, it's not it's not worth the money right now. Maybe in six months when it goes back into the oven through patches and updates, but it's just, ugh, it's it's not there um, and it's not worth it. It's, it's a real shame and it's, it's, it's unusual and it's weird. And I do hope that this is a, an anomaly in their, in their um, path moving forward and that you'll Starfield and Fallout 5 and Elder Scrolls 6 will get back to where they should be and not this crap. Because it's just, this is shameful. It's bad. And it's it's really unfortunate. Yeah, and I think this is what happens when you have people for so long clamor about um, wanting some of these games that, that are known for being like epic single player games. And and making them multiplayer, I I think that the, I, what I think happened is Bethesda finally caved uh, to the pressure to to have a multiplayer follow game, and this is this is what happens when uh, a a studio who has only made single player games, uh, this is what happens when they try to make a a multiplayer game, and I'm not I, I'm I'm not opposed to the idea of having any of a any Bethesda property. Uh, have a multiplayer component, but I mean, obviously, this isn't it, and and I, I truly do hope that Bethesda uh, learns um, that this is not the way to do it, and that this is absolutely unacceptable. But we'll see in two days now, I guess. Well, the thing is that Fallout players don't even want the multiplayer. They're like, "What the hell are you doing? We wanted a single." I mean, that was the whole argument was we wanted a single player Fallout Five, not this crap. I just wonder if it's that, you know, that sweet, sweet multiplayer money that's that's looking real enticing. Cause, I mean, that's that's the games that make a ton of money now. I mean, you get, of course, really high quality single player games like Spider-Man and God of War. And, and those are 
absolutely viable and I love single player games, but you know, from a from a finance standpoint, it's probably like, hmm, hmm, if we could do this, you know, fairly cheaply or quickly and you know, not sink a ton of resources into it, we could probably make a lot of profit. But yeah, I don't know what the motivation was. Like I said, I, I would have liked it to be good. Like absolutely, like I'm waiting on Borderlands on Borderlands three. Who knows when that's coming? But I, I wanted a post-apocalyptic style multiplayer co-op experience and this was hopefully going to be it and it just it isn't so it's a shame all right let's move along to uh some news regarding destiny 2 uh with season five so um season four is ending november 27th that's going to be in a couple weeks here uh no indication if season five starts immediately after that sometimes there's a little bit of a, a delay where you're not really in a season like a week or so um, but people are kind of expecting that the Black Armory DLC will be coming out sometime in November, probably early November, sorry, December, um, and that might, that might coincide with the start of Season 5. So um, that's looking pretty good. The thing you should keep in mind, however, is that if you are doing any long-term quests like the Redrick's Broadsword or the Luna's Howl or the Not Forgotten, that your Valor and your infamy and your glory will all be resetting at the end of season four so if you're on that quest step and you don't finish it where you have to like grind a five resets or whatever it will reset you to the beginning of that step again at the end of the season so like the normal things where it's like hey get x number of kills with hand cannons that that's fine but if you're on the thing that requires the infamy the glory or the valor that's resetting so make sure you get it done before the 27th if not you're gonna have to start all over again uh, at the beginning of season five, which is going to suck depending on how far in you are. So uh, do keep that in mind. Uh, also looks like the Black Armor DLC is kind of expected to be announced very soon. It's honestly, people are kind of pointing at this, this coming week here. So I'm looking forward to that. I kind of want to see the scope of what it is. Uh, interesting bit though. So Anon the Nine is kind of this infamous leaker who has an extremely high track record of being accurate with leaks. I've said before, I think he's probably actually a, an employee at the company that's that's launching you know launching the stuff out. But he was saying that the rollout of the DLC is not going to be what you think it's going to be. It's not going to be the same kind of style that you saw before with like Curse of Osiris or Warmind, where they kind of just dump a pile of content on you all at once. It's going to be different from that. My take on that is that it's actually going to be kind of a I don't want to say time gated, but it's it's going to slowly come out bit by bit over time. That's kind of the the trend they've been doing. I feel with some of the more recent stuff with Forsaken. Um, I, I don't know, Jay. What do, what do you think? You think they're going to how, how they're going to roll the stuff out? Well, I, I think they're going to get a little. Bit, I think they have a good formula right now in terms of. So, so you kind of alluded to this. Let me let me back this up as I kind of organize my thoughts on this. Um, Generally, when a DLC comes back comes out, the traditional way it would happen is DLC drops. There's two, maybe three hours worth of campaign stuff, if that. You know, two hours plus or minus. Uh, by that I mean like two or three more quests, maybe a nightfall, something like that. You may or may not get a raid layer with it, and then you get some new new gear that you can chase. Uh, it, but it's usually pretty small. Sometimes you get a playable space, sometimes not. It just sort of depends. Um, but they're, but they're relatively small and you get generally just, they shovel all the content on you at one time. And normally you could probably power through a lot of it. If you're, if you're like a very consistent sort of hobbyist type player, 
couple of weeks, you're probably you you've got everything you want out of it, uh, at most, maybe a week, frankly. Um, and, and what they they've kind of gotten a lot better. Well, not kind of. They've gotten a lot better at is metering out the content. So they stacked a lot in Forsaken, but then they would meter it out over several weeks' time to keep you interested in what was going on and keep you coming back. Um, that that formula has worked extremely well, and I think that is they kind of started doing that with uh, with Warmind, but they definitely got they really brought that to a peak with Forsaken. Now you got to remember these are DLCs that are much much smaller in scope than Forsaken was. So I, I would say you're probably going to get some some new stuff up front that'll get you kind of psyched, but if but it would not surprise me if that you get that metering. I mean, time getting is not necessarily the way they would do it, but there's probably triggers or other things involved in it. And and probably, you know, the other thing that's worked very well for them, particularly in Forsaken, uh, is long-form quests. Things that require like six, seven steps of a lot of different things you got to do, like a real deep grind on to, to get the carrot at the end of the stick on. Um, you saw, and again, you saw some of that with some of their original stuff. Um, that dotted throughout some of the previous iterations of D2. So I think that's what we're going to see. Uh, they are unveiling a new weapon uh, tier, the black level, which is my understanding, and, and that's beyond exotic. So you can assume that those will be particularly rare and probably, I, I would hope, extremely difficult to get, like really, really hard to get. Maybe not like... Um, and you gotta have like a mix of things that are, um, you know, penultimate, like skill level type things that you gotta do, or just super deep grind that a more average player can get if they're willing to put the time in. So that that's what I suspect we're gonna see with with Black Armory. Um, and I think the next one is gonna be even more different than that because it'll be focused on Gambit. And then the one after that, Penumbra, you know, the the last one of the uh, of the FY, I think that's the one that's gonna probably be pretty pretty hard hitting. And by then, we're gonna know a little bit more about what Destiny Three might look like. I still don't think you're gonna see Destiny Three till like deep twenty at the earliest, maybe twenty one, twenty two. I think that's the next gen console activity probably, but. Uh, but yeah, I think you're going to get a little bit up front, but they're smart. They're going to meter some things out over time with it. Yeah, it's it's really interesting what they're what they're doing here. And I was kind of talking to Libby about it earlier, and it's it, it almost feels like with the way that they have structured the DLC, it's a not a you can buy the parts you want. It's hey, we've got the expansion, you buy it Forsaken, and then for the next year, we're going to have these bits of content coming out, you know, for free. But if you purchase the annual pass, you get an enhanced version of that content. You get extra stuff on top of it, more story, more stuff like that. Um, but you can't just buy it, you know, a la carte like you could before, where you could you, you could choose to buy just uh, uh, Curse of Osiris, but then not buy, you know, Warmind if you wanted to. Um, but in this case, it's you have to buy all of it. If you get the annual pass, you buy all the DLCs. It almost feels like they're trying to make it like a subscription 
like a one-time subscription for the year yeah. and then kind of play yeah. their content out slowly over time. Like you would see like in an MMO where you'd be paying monthly, but it's instead we're going to pay it all, all front. So it feels like you're buying a one-time thing, but in reality we've kind of meant to meter this out slowly over time. And that's what you're really paying for is because it works out to like four or five bucks a month. If you, if you kind of break it down for the whole year. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it's, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting from it. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good observation that you're that you know the, the traditional monthly MMO subscription I think has gone the way of the dodo for the most part, and what you're really looking at is almost quarterly subscriptions is, is effectively what we're talking about quarterly or annual subscriptions, and I think that's that's a very good sort of analogy sort of way to look at this. There's a couple other things going on here that that I think we do need to talk about. One, the Activision statement that came out where they basically said. Uh, forsaken underperformed which created a massive stir in the community that is playing into a lot of what people are trying to figure out what's going to happen with the dlcs because effectively this hey we think we need more content and we need more ways to make money out of forsaken it just it underperformed which if you ask it from a qualitative standpoint in terms of like the reviews it got a 9.5 generally when you go back and look it a lot of uh, major game outlets went back and re-reviewed it because they knew it was kind of a Taken King style, basically a, uh, a Destiny 2.5, if you will. They went back and re-reviewed it uniformly, 9 out of 10, 9.5 out of 10, routinely. Like, knock it out of the park. Um, and the player base that's involved, and, and Activision kind of stated this in their earnings letter, was the player base that's engaged with Destiny 2 in Forsaken specifically is highly engaged which is a good thing, but we didn't. We don't have enough people playing it. We didn't bring enough people back. They had a million people playing Crucible last week, like individual users playing Crucible, just the PvP part. One million, and that's not enough. I went back and did some did some quick numbers. Um, you can like look this up. There's a couple different sites that aggregate this. There were, I, if I'm not missed, if I'm not, I'm trying to find my notes here, but I believe they were top six in the entire year in sales that's pretty good like no i know I, 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 correction i think they were number eight in sales the entire year number six in the month of september when it came out that's that's really good i mean i, I mean do you i don't know what they expect them to do for dlc are they expecting them to go up against fortnite uh, you know i i don't know i'm I, i'm nobody's going up against fortnite to to be frank with you so that was a pretty that was a pretty interesting thing now how that colors this is when you get into those statements about we need to push out more content faster and, and then an allusion to finding ways to to monetize it more with different micro transaction options and there's a couple in the game right now they've got a thing called the uh it's like a temporal engram that you can buy for silver aka for money that basically it lets you go back and get uh seasonal specific emotes uh, that are recolored, which is a good thing, you know. So it's not you know, just one for one that you might have missed in your previous previous season, and, and you could buy those now for for money. Uh, I, I I don't know if that was a reaction to it or something they planned. I, I don't know, but that that's one of those things that I'm kind of curious about how this is all going to play out. Yeah, I think the statement they made it it, it really kind of shed light on what they're really going for is the we're happy with the people that are already playing like. 
they're, they're obviously very engaged. I mean, like, and like you talk to people that are like super salty about Destiny 2, like really, really hated the game. And you talked about Forsaken, they're kind of like, like, yeah, it's actually pretty good. Like the reviews are, are really begrudgingly really solid. People are like, yeah, I, I got to even admit, like they did a good job on this one. Um, so the people that are playing it love it. Um, I'm obviously having a really good time with it. I think that it, it's it's compelling. It's engaging. Uh, I think a lot of their discomfort or dissatisfaction comes from, like you were saying, we don't have enough people that bought Destiny Two playing Forsaken. We didn't we didn't get enough of them to come back, um, and that's that's a tough call to make. I mean, that's that's difficult to do if you've really burned somebody. And, and Destiny Two burned people pretty bad. I probably wouldn't have jumped on it again if you know I didn't get recognition well, from Jay on this one to, to try in it. Has burned people two or three times. You know that's that's their problem. Is is really where they're at? Is they're in a spot where they're as good as Forsaken was. They can, they need to this entire year, this entire annual, the annual look needs to be really good. It needs to be like not B level. It needs to be A level the entire year for them to really kind of fight through where they put themselves no it's true and i mean and that's really the key is that if you if you have a game that's super compelling really fun people really enjoy and the content is solid and, and really enjoyable they don't mind spending money you know if i've had games like monster hunter i played that game for six months non-stop and i was annoyed that they didn't try to get me to spend more i'm like i want to give you guys money because this content is so good and you're giving me all this stuff for free I want to give you money, and they, they didn't give me an opportunity to. It, 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 when you get to that point where the content is enjoyable enough, people will spend money gladly because they feel that they are adding it, its value added to them, and they're like, "Yeah, I can spend five bucks on emo. Who cares?" You know, it, it's not that big. But if they're dissatisfied, if if they're running at like a B minus quality level, they're going to go screw you. I'm not going to spend money on an emo. I'm, I'm not doing that. You know. I, I want it for free because the rest of the game is lackluster. So you, you're totally right, Jay. They, they've got to be so on top of their shit right now and just ride this. I mean, Forsaken came out. It was great. They've got to keep that level or go higher for the rest of the year if they're going to try to plan on on trying to push more money onto this. Because, like I said, if, if they maintain this and it's really, really solid – I'm like, yeah, I don't usually buy engrams or you know silver for, for emotes, but – I can throw you five bucks, no problem. I'll do that. You know that that's outside what I normally would do, but I've been satisfied with it so far. My big thing is, can they keep it up? You know, because they've they've shown before, like Destiny Two. You know, it was it was it had issues really good at first. Then when you get to the end game, it falters, and the DLC comes out, it falters. It was just a really big high at the beginning, and then it dropped off. And I'm people are going to wait and see. Forsaken is the big high at the beginning. It's it's holding steady so far, but can the added support as they go on keep it going? Can they maintain that level? And I think that's going to be the big deciding factor. So that that's why Black Armory, I think, is so important because people want to see, okay, here's the three DLCs for the year. How much stuff am I going to get? Is it going to be a lot? Is it going to be a little? How much value added is this actually going to be adding to the game? Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And the other thing is you know, they did have a free PC weekend. They literally gave the game away. So if you downloaded it, you know, this last weekend, you got it for free forever. And I think and there, there's a I, there, there's some signals coming out of Activision that, that what they may do is just release the base game for free. And there's a lot of talk about that, that if you're at the point now in the game that you've been out for a year and you've got like a significant update that's already come out that's basically kind of refreshed your game and you got 
your annual passes and you need people playing give the base game away that that which which has all the sandbox and quality of life updates that forsaken does and then they get to see the game in a really good state they are likely that they're more likely to buy those dlcs which i, I kind of subscribe to that that theory um i think that's a pretty good way to look at it well and you'll see a lot of mmos do that as well when they when they're like you know four expansions deep after a while they go yeah the base game is free until level 30 you know level cap is like 80 or whatever but you can play like the, the base campaign for free because they then they go okay did you like that well if you buy the expansion for 40 bucks we'll give you all the dlc up to the most current stuff for 40 bucks and you're good to go and in it's a very common thing that they do in mmos where they'll 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 start to kind of just let you play the really like really old stuff for free um and i think again this kind of goes with kind of that season pass model it feels like where they're like yeah you know we've we've gotten everyone who was gonna buy destiny the base game they've bought it you know but if we can give it to them for free and hook them they might buy the dlc and we're making 40 bucks on them instead of 60 you know that they wouldn't have spent um so yeah i i think it's i think it's a good direction for them to go and and kind of their statement about how we need to get people to come back we need to inject new players it makes a lot of sense with that free weekend like you said they're giving the game away for free they're like come on just give it a shot please like we we know you'll like it if you just try it um so you know i i i don't know if it'll work we'll see but uh you know i do hope that they they at least continue to support as well as they have so far with uh forsaken yeah, no, I, I think that's a, I think that's a solid way to look at it. Um, a lot, a lot, you know, time will tell on it, but, but they've kind of dug themselves a big hole uh, generally, uh, and I think they're doing a, a really good job. They they do a really good job of getting themselves into bad positions and then digging their way out. Uh, that's that's a tough spot to be in, but it's it is pretty true, uh, generally for them. So uh, hopefully that they can really maintain some things. And honestly. High Moon Studios, the people that put together the Forsaken update, I, like, hey, just loose flash. Put them on fucking permanent retainer and have those guys just smashing content for you the entire time. Um, but that is a that is something I really, really think that, that, that they need to look at. Um, and that's very common where DLCs will get found out to different sort of subcontractors almost. Uh, that kind of will fall under the wing of a parent company. Uh, High Moon generally does really, really good work, particularly in the Destiny space. Let them keep doing it. Uh, and, and I wish them all the best. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Destiny fan, and I just think that, uh, that they need to not rest on Forsaken and really, really, they're going to have to put the hammer down for the next year if they want Destiny 3 to, I think, be a thing. That's just that's, that's my thought. Nope, you're totally on point with that. Okay, so I I know you mentioned earlier in the show, Jay, you you saw a movie you wanted to review. Is that called Overlord? You said it is. Uh, it, okay, so I I I saw the movie this afternoon, sort of by by accident, to be honest with you. I, uh, we were actually going to go see uh, the Grinch movie with the family. I'm not a big Grinch. Grinch guy, that's, that's not my favorite Christmas movie. Uh, frankly, Die Hard is. And we can have that debate at a later time, whether it's a Christmas movie. Hashtag it is. Um, the, so the deal with Overlord is that is a J.J. Abrams movie. 
You've probably seen the trailers for it, and it was probably a little confusing to you. It's definitely a Band of Brothers for World War II kind of vibe, and suddenly monsters and zombies, right? Well, if you thought it was Call of Duty World War II Zombie Edition, you would not be wrong. If you thought it was a alternate take on Marvel's Winter Soldier, you would not be wrong. Uh, so, th- and I, I basically just gave you the entire plot right there. Uh, so, on you know Overlord, that's you know Operation Overlord, you know the D-Day invasion. So, group of, group of paratroopers goes in the night before, which is you know, it's it is not. Don't expect to see Tom Hanks Hanks out there with this incredibly historically accurate you know sort of depiction of things. It definitely modern it up a tad, but in not in a bad way, and it wasn't you know jarring or anything. It's actually well done. Um, these paratroopers go in. Their job is to get to a, a church that's got a radio tower and they can knock the radio tower out so that you know it'll support the landings at D-Day. That kind of thing. Very, very plausible. So, that, so things go poorly as you can imagine. A lot of people get killed and the plane come down, which is a very convenient way in these movies to, to get you down to about four or five people that you can care about in a movie, not like 50. So the first hour of the movie is very much a pretty solid kind of World War II movie with a little bit of kind of some kind of spooky overtones to it, but but it's definitely a a very solid World War II movie. Again, other than a couple of F-bombs thrown in it thrown in and out, you would think it's you you could have easily placed this in like the you know the Winter Soldier World War II sort of vibe, you know, that kind of thing. Well, when they get to the French village where the, the abbey or the you know the church is that this it's a huge church, aka a castle, uh, heavily fortified, all this jazz, things are very, things start to turn take a decidedly darker turn. Uh, you know, I'm certainly not gonna spoil anything for you. There's there's not much to spoil, honestly, in this movie. Um, it, it is very much what you think it's you know, World War Two with monsters and zombies. Um, Nazis doing experiments. There's some not so much mystical aspects to it, but more like uh, Call of Duty science kind of weird shit. Uh, they're using some, you know, some weird bubbling black goo tar stuff that's at, at the bottom of the abbey to uh, basically create sort of zombies, you know, basically zombies. But it's not zombies like you normally think. It's imagine more like the Super Soldier Serum in Winter Soldier that goes kind of horribly wrong. Uh, that's basically what it what it is. Um, and it you know, gives you super strength and you, know, you kind of heal like Wolverine and you get really hyper-aggressive and start to go a little crazy. And, it, and there's different effects if you give somebody the serum if they're dead, they're dying, or they're alive when you give it to them. There's different states. So there's, there's definitely some horror aspects to it. There's definitely some jump scares. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of body horror, not a lot. There's some. Uh, it's kind of right on the verge, just on the opposite side of being rated R. It, you could have PG-13 this one pretty quick, I think, if you really wanted to. Uh, long story short, you, as you can imagine, you, the good guys knock Radio Tower out and have to deal with the, the you know, Nazi zombies or Nazi monsters. Um, no surprises in the movie. But it is... That being said, you literally, this is the best video game movie you've ever seen not based on a video game. 
straight up. Uh, the acting, really good, surprisingly good, and most of the people you've never heard of. Um, the the special effects, really good. Nothing elaborate, but really good. The sets, the this the feel of the movie. It is a J.J. Abrams level movie. Okay, it's just a solid, really fun movie. It's it's a cool mashup of a War II kind of action flick and a kind of science fiction horror flick, and it's just exceptionally well executed. Uh, so I, I, I definitely got to give props to this movie. Couple neat things, I, you know. So I didn't recognize any of the any of the you know the, the primary folks in it. Uh, Bakeem Woodbine is in it for five ten minutes, you know, max. He you know he he, he dies very early up front. He's kind of the only sort of uh, action star that you might recognize. And star is a strong word for him. Uh, you'd recognize him from other movies. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Pilu Osbach. Uh, he plays sort of the head Nazi bad guy. He's 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 in Game of Thrones quite a bit as uh, you know Theron or uh, God Greyjoy, the the pirate guy in uh, Game of Thrones. He was also in um, Ghost in the Shell as the uh, as uh, Batu the uh, He's sort of the head Nazi guy. Uh, and he was him and Woodbine were the only names I immediately recognized. Now, one of the stars of the movie is Wyatt Russell, son of Kurt Russell. And I was in the entire movie, I couldn't figure out. Well, I was like, man, this guy looks really familiar. He sounds really familiar. Who is this guy? And I could not place it until the very end of the movie, because um, he's got kind of like medium length, you know, kind of like very blonde, blonde hair, uh, much like his his mom, Meg, Meg Ryan, frankly. But there's this, he looks at the camera, he's got some blood on his face, he's got some scruff, and he absolutely channels Kurt Russell, you know, sort of circa the Thing movie, you know, when he's just this, like, oh, that's got to be Kurt Russell's kid. Sure enough, it is. Uh, he was phenomenal. He was a really, really, really good actor in this. Uh, and then the, you know, kind of the star that you follow uh, it's it's an African American actor. Reminds me a lot of a lot of the star from Get Out. Uh, very very similar sort of vibe to it. Uh, and I think they're reaching for some tones of Get Out in the in the movie. Uh, so overall, really well done. I, I absolutely would firmly tell you that this is definitely going to be worth the, the two hours that you spend at the movie. Uh, highly recommended. If you are a Call of Duty uh, zombies fan, if you're a World War II fan, if you're a Sort of zombies horror fan, science fiction horror fan, or if you're just like a good movie fan, this is well worth the popcorn. So I, I would highly recommend going to check this one out. Pretty good stuff. Yeah, I was just talking to people while you were you're going that they people were theorizing that this is actually related to the Cloverfield uh, paradox film, and Abrams is insisting it's not, but apparently there's people that are conspiracy theorizing that it's it's somehow connected to the the Cloverfield paradox movie. So that's. Uh, that's interesting. I had heard about this one a while ago, and you're talking about. It. I'm like, wait, the zombie Nazis? I'm like, no, I remember this. I remember, I remember they were talking about it once Cloverfield Paradox came out. So that's pretty interesting. It's supposedly like it's not connected, but uh, that's, that's that's pretty cool, man. Uh, there may be. I've heard that before. Like, uh, and, and be honest, with you, I barely looked at it, and I, I only went because my wife was like, "Hey, I think you like this movie better." Uh, once you check this out, it's getting really good reviews. Now, I had not, I had not intended to see it until she just. Like Fandango, the ticket for me today, you know, just, you know, 
being a good buddy. And, and I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I was absolutely, you know, very, very happy with the, uh, the two hours I spent there. So yeah, I definitely recommend it. There could be some, you know, weird Easter eggs in there or something. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, that related to, to Cloverfield, but yeah, I didn't I didn't get anything that I could have thrown into the Cloverfield kind of vibe unless they linked the um, you know, the black goo in the church to, to one of the aliens. No, that's pretty cool. All right. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we uh, close this one up with shout outs? The only game anybody should be playing right now is Red Day Redemption 2. I have got to ask you some questions in the state, Mike. No shit. Okay, now I, I freely admit I have not. I'm not playing Red Dead right now. I've watched a lot of videos. I've read a lot about it. I, I have to ask you because I've been debating on putting money into this. I acknowledge that it is an incredibly well done game, but is it a fun game to play? Because I, I am, I am amazed at the number of mixed reviews that say, "Hey, hey, like nine out of nine, ten or nine out of ten, ten out of ten phenomenal game, but at some point in many of the reviews, there'll be a paragraph that describes how not fun the game is to play. And it's a real paradox that I'm trying to figure out because just watching the, like some of the, you know, like I watched about an hour and a half of a guy doing like a, a stream of it. There's a whole lot of shit going on that has nothing to do with playing a game in there. It's really like a, almost like a survival simulator in some cases or a camp simulator. And, and, and I, and it's you know, kind of GTA, you know, a lot of the movement controls and the gunfight controls aren't like, you know, you're not playing COD or Destiny or anything like that, which I get, you know, I'm not, I'm not judging it against that, but is this a fun game to play? Because I really don't want to spend a lot of time, like, making stew and cutting animals up and, like, having to take baths and shit. It just, it, it, it's an incredible technical achievement, which I think is uniform what everybody's on to, but do you think this game is fun to play, Dave? I do, yeah. Um, yes, the, the the game is absolutely fun to play. If you have ADHD or like ADD or anything like that, man, this game is gonna fuck you up because you're good. So like, and I, and I I think for me that's why I, I I do think that it is fun to play. So like, as I'm going to like the mission or whatever, uh, there's just like so many little things that make me veer off the road or whatever, um. Uh, and like, I, I find myself ending up doing a bunch of other side quests, um, that still feel like they're meaningful to the world, um, and, and to the story at times. Um, but I'll be honest with you, a lot of the things that I find myself doing that when I'm not doing side quests and, and I do get sidetracked, it's just because there's a fucking rabbit that runs across the road and I want to shoot the rabbit and like skin it and hang it on the side of my horse. Um, so for me, that's fun. Um... But I mean, I think all just the amount of things to do. Um, it, 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 yes, the the game is fun for, for you know for that reason is is that there is so much to do. Um, so yeah, yeah, game's fun. I've heard a lot of the complaints are that it's almost a little too realistic, and that some of the stuff you have to do feels a little mundane. Like it takes a really long time to do. Like when you skin an animal, it takes a while to skin it. It's not just a walk up to hit the button and you're, you're gone in a second. Is, is that accurate? Is, is that kind of how it is? There's a lot of mundane stuff you have to do to make things work. I mean, like 
So the bigger the animal, the longer it takes to skin. So you are in that skinning animation for varying amounts of time. Like a fucking rabbit, I can pick up a rabbit and like, you know, pick him up and cut the little cut the little slit for his heart or whatever, and then like flick wait, it, wait, wait. and then the man has. I, I, the- I, guess, I guess. I guess ultimately, what is the why is why is that fun? You know, like what what about that makes the game the gameplay loop enjoyable? I have no idea, honestly. Like, I, I I can't really. I it's it, I I feel satisfied playing that game. Um, and it's just like, I, I find myself coming back to, back to the game. Um, so I, to me that, that says that there must be something fun about it. Um, writing through, just writing between place to place, um, and, and, and just, you know, looking around and whatever, it's a beautiful game. It really is. Even on my, on my, uh, my original Xbox one, uh, it still manages to look good. Um, fun. I mean, God, why, why is this game? Fun? It's just, it's just a lot to do. I, I, I think is what it boils down to me, uh, down to for me personally. Um, yeah, yeah, just, just a lot to do. Do you think that a lot of the enjoyment bait comes from because of the level of realism? It's the immersion factor that is what you find appealing. Like, just you feel like you're a cowboy. Oh, dude, for sure, man. Like I spent. Yes, I, I feel like a cowboy. Um, <laughs> it was funny when 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 the the game first came out on launch day, I, I sat down in uh, Dystopia in in the Dust Vets uh, channel, and I were were kind of geeking out about it. Um, and I got so hung up, like I, I my hat at at one point or another during during a firefight got either shot off or it fell off or whatever. The wind blew it off. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a factor. But my hat fell off, and I was so obsessed with the fact that my fucking hat fell off, and I couldn't figure out how to get it back, and I, I was so worried um, that that I would never, you know, get that damn thing back. Um, like I felt like a like a cowboy man. Like I I walk into bars and saloons and whatnot with a purpose. Like you walk in and you push the thing open. You're like, man, I own this place. Um, which isn't quite something that I don't I don't think I've ever experienced uh, with with a game and and it, it's really interesting to see how that I, how well, that affects I, me. Well, let me, let, let me ask you this: so, like, you've played um, Dragon Age, right? Just a little bit. Um, one of them was free on Xbox uh, not too terribly long ago, and I, I played through maybe half of it, a quarter of um, it. Um, I'm I'm sort of I'm sort of in my head thinking of like the amount of things I want to interact with in the gameplay world in a game like that is somewhere similar to Dragon Age, uh, but w- what I keep coming back to is it seems like there's an incredible amount of actual features and aspects to the game that are, in some ways, very immersive, and in other ways, they're almost it's almost mm-hmm. too much. And, and again, I, I fully admit I I do not have the game. I'm not I'm I'm just only going off videos and things like that, but. It seems like there's almost too many things in the game that aren't gameplay, you know, at least for my taste. And that's that, that's what keeps hanging me on to not wanting to uh, to like just download the game and, and sink sink a lot of time into it because that's that's what you have to do, I think, to, to play one of those games right. I would say so. I, I I think too many things that aren't gameplay. Um, oops, somebody died. Uh, too many things that aren't gameplay. Um, hmm. Maybe I, I I don't feel like 
for me, I don't, I, I don't feel like that. That's the case. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I wish Jay were sitting in channel to explain what he means by that. But uh, I, I think in, in kind of my read on this is that I, I almost see it to a lesser extent, like Star Citizen, where they always the big feature is like, look at all this like crazy shit you got to do. Like, you know, you're firing your guns and your gun jams and you actually have to get your character up and go down to the turret and actually manually unjam it like that is super immersive because like that that shit would happen and if your primary motivating factor when you're playing a game is i want to feel immersed and i want every single possible realistic detail to happen in the game that's going to work great for you some people just want to go blow shit up though and those other immersive details get obnoxious because they're in the way like i was, I was telling Livy, like just just off mic here like monster hunter if i had to stop and spend even three seconds picking the resources off the ground i would want to shoot myself by the end of the game because you got to do so much and you're there to hunt monsters not pick flowers and any time other than the quarter of a second it takes me to hit the circle button and, and do my little grab animation and keep running would be obnoxious for me personally now, if you really like that level of immersion, you like to see your character get down and pluck the flowers and stick them in the sack or whatever, cool. But I think for some people, that could be really not fun and really pull them out of it. Um, so I, I can see the appeal on both sides. It's just, uh, you know, what are you looking for? I think it's kind of a big deal here. At, at the point uh, that I'm at right now, and I, I can't speak to, obviously, the later parts of the game, I don't feel forced to to you know to hunt i i think there, there's been one mission so far or there, uh, two missions so far but i think that was just so that they could introduce the uh some of the mechanics like i had to hunt uh for one mission just uh you know it's whatever it's a story mission cool um i had to fish for a story mission or whatever um but beyond that like since that since that one hunting mission um i i, I don't feel like i've been forced to to um to shoot rabbits or or whatever um or to to go fishing um or or even to i apparently you can stop and you can pick flowers and whatnot in this one um i, I and I, you use those to make like uh like tonics and and, and uh, uh other stuff or whatever um but i mean it, it's all stuff that you can also ride into town and and, and buy it from a store um so those aspects the, those resource gathering aspects i don't feel like um i've been forced uh to do but now that jay's back jay what what did you mean by um oh shit what was your wording uh too much uh, no, um too much non non gameplay um uh things to do i i, I think is is kind of what you were saying yeah, I, I think it seems like there's almost uh, too many mechanics in there. And, and, and to be honest, with you, I don't know what the impact of them are. Like the whole, like, seems like you do a lot of care and feeding, personal hygiene, and just like a lot of things that it literally just seems, I mean, it's a cowboy yeah. simulator. I get that. It just seems like there's a lot of things that aren't gameplay related. Like That's I really don't want to go do a lot of, I don't mind the hunting part, but like, if I'm going to like, I, like I watch the animation to like loot a corpse, it's like yeah. painstaking. It takes a while. I'm like, I like fuck that. Like I, I, you know, that and it seems like 
all for a game where basically the the vast majority of your encounters end up with, okay, let's kill everybody in town. Like the, you know, the, it's not, you know, it's not a super smooth shooter. It's, it's not really designed to be either, but so like I said, I don't really hold that against it, but it seems like there's a lot of things that you need to do or is it you just can do that aren't related to like questing and, you know, like red deading. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, now that you, now that you clarify, this is where the game starts to kind of like go, okay, this is a little bit much. Um, and, and the, one of those things is looting, right? So like, I don't know, maybe about 20 minutes into the game, you like, you, you shoot up a bunch of shit and there's like probably 25 bodies on the ground. And then I'm sitting there trying to make this dilemma. Like, am I going to sit here and loot 25 bodies? And it's going to take maybe about three seconds to, to loot all these, uh, to loot a body. So you do the math, and you you know somebody who's better at that can do that. It's a lot of seconds that you're gonna spend looting bodies, just to be able to get maybe twelve bucks in uh and uh, a bunch of uh, uh revolver ammo. And you, I don't think it's quite worth it. Um, and then there's like uh, there's these missions where you can go and you can like collect some debts. And typically how you do it is you come up to the property of the person that owes you the debt and you like beat the shit out of them and you roll up into their house and you have like, okay, let's say they owe you $200. You literally go through and loot their house. Uh, and, and those animations are absolutely awful because if you've got, God forbid, somebody has a nightstand that has multiple drawers because you're going to spend about a second opening up the drawer and then uh, you're going to spend maybe four seconds looting everything in that drawer, and you're going to move on to the next drawer, and then you're going to get about 12 bucks or 12 or 15 bucks from that one drawer. And you're going to go throughout their entire house. It's going to take you an ungodly amount of time just to do that to complete your mission. Unless you get really lucky and they have like 200 bucks in their chimney, because apparently everybody has money in their chimney in 1899. Um, so, yeah, yeah, those kinds of things are really annoying. Uh, and, and like I said, I, I'm glad that you clarified that because I was trying to figure out what you meant by that. Um, and I would be okay with that if it was like a bunch of side stuff, like those, those debt collecting missions I talked about are definitely side missions. Um, but a big thing of this game is robbing trains. I I've done at least two of those so far and it's really fucking annoying to go through and have to steal a thousand dollars worth of shit from a train, uh, and, and do exactly this process I described to loot somebody's house. Uh, on a train, because trains are a lot bigger than houses. So, yeah, uh, that's, like, one of the few gripes I have with this game. Some things take way too long, and there's too much of it. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I definitely, I, I don't want to sound like I'm bagging on a game that I haven't played, and, and like I said, I very much acknowledge the, uh, like, the overwhelmingly good reviews. It just, I, it's, it's, like I said, it, it just seemed like it was very odd when I was reading a lot or listening to a lot of like, you know, pretty, pretty good, you know, long form reviewers like on YouTube and stuff like that, where they would always come to some point where they were like, there is some real tedium involved in this game. As good as it is and beautiful as the game is in many ways, there's, you know, some real tedium involved. And I think one guy said, hey, I think I've played this about 50 hours check that. I think I've played about 15 hours and I've done other shit, you know, for the, for the other part of the 50 hours, you know, something to that effect. And, 
And that's what I just couldn't figure out. That's why I, was, I just wanted to talk to somebody who has actually played the game. Yeah, no, I uh, I get that. Um, yeah, I wish some of it you could skip um, as far as, like, looting mechanics. But, um, nah, you can't. Um, there's also a lot of unnecessarily or unnecessary uh, galloping and horseback riding, which is, which, I mean, let's be real, guys. We're, we're playing a cowboy game. But, like, I find myself riding a very, 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 very uh, uh, long distances on the back of my horse. And I sometimes wish that I could just skip to where I'm going because, oh, my God, that's a lot of horse riding. So it's it's kind of annoying. And, like, some missions are, like, just straight up horse riding. Do what now? Is um, it a fast travel system? I believe so. Um, I think it's. I think you unlock it later in the game, though. Um, but the okay. So the first game had the stagecoach thing, where you could you could get up to a stagecoach uh, post and travel from town to town like that. Um, but a buddy of mine was saying that once you that you can fast travel from your camp. But I'm not quite sure how that works, and I'm almost confident you uh, you unlock it later in the story for some reason. Um, so I have yet to encounter that part of it, and I have yet to use the stagecoach, honestly, um, just because having your horse is, like, such a big deal um, uh, th- uh, throughout the game. Because if you don't have your horse, then you're limited to what weapons you have when you get on and off. And that's fucked me over a couple of times. So, like, when you're on your horse, you can have you can have your your pistols, and then you can have um, uh, something slung across your shoulder and something slung across your back. If you don't equip something across your shoulder and across your back, as soon as you get off your horse and you go off into 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 wherever and do whatever, you don't have those weapons. You've only got your pistol or pistols. Um. And like I said, that's kind of screwed me over a couple of times. Um, so that's why I'm very reluctant to use the, the quote-unquote fast travel that they have only because um, I feel like I might not have what I need uh, to be able to, uh, to move or to progress the, uh, the story or the mission or whatever. So, yes, there is fast travel. Okay, no, I, I got you, brother. I mean, like, hey, I appreciate the uh, the quick, the hasty review of Red mm-hmm. Dead, though. Thank you very much. All right, good stuff, guys. All right, let's do uh, shout-outs. So, uh, not really a shout-out, I guess, but just kind of uh, FYI, if you haven't heard, um, Stan Lee, uh, you know, creator of all the Marvel franchises, passed away today. He was 95, um, so... That's it's really crappy. I mean, he was he was kind of sickly, so we kind of knew it was probably imminent. But uh, he lived a, a long time, and you know, I, I imagine that they'll have some really good uh, good stuff to honor him and some of the upcoming stuff. So it's a real shame, but uh, yeah, just wanted to throw that out there. All right, Bates, um, what do you got? Oh God! Uh, so my shout out is going to go to uh, uh, Red Dead Two. Um, you know, like I said, very fun game. Um, also kind of annoying. Has its up and downs. Uh, would recommend buying it, though. Um, let's see, what else? So there's four weeks left in the semester uh, for uh, college peoples, um, and then a week for Thanksgiving, depending on where you are. So there's really three weeks left. So shout out to that. I can't wait to be on break for a month. Um, 
uh got classes scheduled that was really cool so shout out to that and uh yeah that's it all right jay you're up my shout out would be to stanley uh i I don't have a lot more to that he's like um you know all the way from the time i was a little kid you know comics affected me quite a bit in a lot of different ways i mean big fan of marvel comics uh and and he was definitely a ground groundbreaking creator uh, they did a lot of things in the comic book world you couldn't get away with anywhere else, all the all the way from social commentary to uh, poking fun at establishment pieces, uh, and really some cutting edge ideas. And Stan Lee was often at the forefront of that. So, um, not so much of a shout out, but just you know, my hats off to Stan Lee. Um, definitely one of the those kind of creative voices and visionaries that definitely affected, you know, how I've lived in, you know, the 43 years that I've been alive. All right. And Libby. Uh, my shout out is kind of a reverse shout out to uh, anyone and all of them who thought that the monster hunting movie was going to be a good idea. Yeah, no, that's, that's the, <laughs> I'll elaborate real briefly. The first images of the live action monster hunter uh, movie has come out it, it looks like the cast of a Transformers film, um, more or less. Mixed with Resident Evil. Yeah, the synopsis oh. is the film. Yeah, the, the synopsis is the film will be based as a United Nations task force falls into an alternate dimension where hunters fight off monsters, and the forces join the hunters to prevent monsters from returning through the portal to Earth. Now, now Jay, you, you've played Monster Hunter. So you got a bunch of soldiers with, like, you know, machine guns dropped into the Monster Hunter world. This doesn't seem like the way the game typically plays. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, not even. I mean, that sounds like uh, Pacific Rim. I mean, I, I don't. What, yes, what right. <sighs> I mean, there was a B fifty two in Monster Hunter, but I mean, it, it was okay. It was actually a monster that dropped that drop bombs. But yeah, it's got Mila Jovovich from the Resident Evil movies. Okay, well, I'm not. That's my favorite Ukrainian actress. I totally get that, but my. I am absolutely befuddled by this. Is yeah, this like no. a Yui Bowl movie? Is this one of those? Say that again? Is this like one of those Yui Bowl movies, the guy that did, like, you know, uh, all of those horrendous video game, you know, like, C-level movies? Or is this like a legit movie that they're just butchering the property? Uh, its director is Paul W.S. Anderson. Oh, yeah, did... this is going to be horrible. It's, it's going to be really bad. It's going to be horrible. Like, it's look at be... on IMDb. I'm, I, I will. I will not be seeing this because I just, not good. Oh God! Just I'll like, wait till it's on Netflix, and you know, pretty much, I'm like there, free. But no. there will be there will be nothing about this movie that is this. This is like Mystery Science Theater 3000 level already. It, just, that's that. that's actually what we'll do, Livy's. We'll just watch it on Netflix and then just shit talk the whole time and record it. It'll be good. Exactly. There we go. Okay, well, that's our show, guys. Um, glad you could join us. Like I said, if you want to be on the show, if you have any topics you want us to cover, do send us an email on biomass.com. We've got all the contact information there. But that being said, thank you for joining, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.